Hi, and thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. your boy JC. Hello Dream 10X land. Welcome to episode 28 of Dream 10X and we have taken off the month of April. I don't know where the month of April went but it's gone never to be seen again for 2021. It was a busy April. Extremely busy. Sorry we didn't get a podcast out. Uh, I haven't read any books recently either uh, other than the one I just finished this past weekend and it's called The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Klassen. And this was a really fascinating book. I really loved it. You've kept saying this whole time you've been reading how amazing it is. So I'm so excited to do this podcast so I could learn about it. Well, I guess the thing that I, there's a couple of things I really liked about it. Uh, well, primarily I liked it because it was about money. So <laughs> Your favorite topic. I like money. Um, money is like a mystical thing to me. Yeah. It's got these weird qualities. Like it's almost magical. Does it seem that way to you? Or is it just me? Yeah, it's like what we value and how does it actually work and how do you invest it and make make more money with it. But yeah, I think it's an interesting thing that we value. I think it's interesting um, I, just because there are so many different levels to it, I think. And you really have to study it and understand the qualities and um, attributes of money in order to be a, a better um, steward of it. Mm-hmm. And basically that's what it boils down to me is how can I be the best steward of the money that I receive in my life and how can I multiply that money to the best of my abilities? Um, so Babylon, uh, Babylon is interesting to me too. I don't know much about it. I'm sure I studied it in world history in college. Don't remember anything about it. Um, so doing some quick Googles on it and, uh, or some sw- quick searches, not, not necessarily using any particular search engine, um, <laughs> revealed that it was a, it, it's currently located in modern day Iraq, south of ba- 55, about 50 miles south of Baghdad. Mm-hmm. I had no idea it, it's in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and ba- Babylon was just from my limited knowledge of it was, was one of the first, um, um, modern society, societies in the middle of the desert there in Iraq. Um, these people who lived there were much more advanced than what we initially thought before we started excavating tablets and reading about what their what their what the civilization was like there. Mm. And part of this book uh, alludes to the fact that after they started excavating some of the 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 mounds of dirt there and, and uh, retrieving some of the tablets that had stories written on them, which a lot of which are, in, or some of which are in this book. Uh, only then did they realize, wow, this is a really modern, really wealthy society, mm. much more advanced than what we ever thought was possible way back in early Mesopotamian uh, culture. And uh, when you come to think that now south of Baghdad is just all desert and even then it was all desert and it took the hard work of men and slaves and really intelligent engineers to make 
Babylon, what it was at the time, it was a hugely wealthy, it was one of the wealthiest cities in the world at the time. And um, they figured out a way to divert uh, water from the river into the desert to start growing crops. And, uh, and from there, uh, just created a hugely successful society. And one of the things in the book mentions that the king of Babylon was very interested in distributing the wealth to the people of the city because he wanted to look to the world that this is the wealthiest city in the world. The wealth of the people of its constituents contributed to the power of the overall city and, and the king, which I thought was really interesting. It's not just held by the king. The wealth had to be um, exhibited and, cent and, and decentralized to the people living in the area to magnify the wealth of the, the king. So it's almost like um, capitalism from an... It sure, man, that sure feels like America today. <laughs> it's just exactly. like you could be talking about uh, Babylon back in the day. Yeah. You know? Very, very interesting. So that was another very fascinating aspect of this whole thing. Uh, the parallels between ancient Mesopotamia and today just that just boggles my mind. That really excited me is um, just to think that, okay, man has been pretty much going through the same, like I think about all the time, how did we end up where we are right now with this society of, you know, it's, it's a game. We all have to play this financial game. Uh, we don't have a choice. You have to exist in the society that you're born into and it's all, everybody's playing a financial game. Mm -hmm. Everybody's trying to get as much money as they can. <laughs> Um, and I think about that all the time. Why do I have to play it? Why? Uh, I didn't create this. Why do I have to play it? Um, and so the guys in back in Mesopotamia had, Mesopotamia had the exact same thoughts. Why do we have to play this game? And um, what does luck have to do with it? Can, mm -hmm. I, can I make my own luck? Um, what else can I do to uh, be, a, be a more comfortable player in this, this game? Uh, more successful player in this game and so that's why this book really really these are some reasons why the book really really intrigued me I thought it was really interesting um, a lot of common sense things were pointed out in the book but then when you start to think about them um, this, the principles are really simple it's the execution is really difficult and the more you think about it and apply it to your own life you, you understand how difficult it is and maybe I can talk about some of those, some of those thoughts as we get into it yeah um, like pay yourself first <laughs> exactly and that's one of the so uh, the story is about some some people who uh, I think allegedly told their back in then they had clay tablets and that's how they wrote their stories they etched their stories in the clay tablets <laughs> and um, they actually had huge libraries full of these clay tablets wow. with, with people's etchings on them that told various stories and so some of those stories are, were uh, transcribed from those tablets in, in this book. And it starts off with these two guys. One's a chariot maker and one's like a sword maker or spear maker or something like that. And they're talking about, man, how do we, how do we make money? I'm tired of working under the hot sun. And, you know, look at this guy in this chariot, Arcot. He's the richest man. How did he get all that wealth? How is he any different than us? Mm -hmm. What man in America hasn't thought the same thing, man? How do we get like Bill Gates? Mm -hmm. How do we get like more? How do we get like Elon Musk and get all that money and be a high roller like that? Who has you know same exact things we're going through today that they went through back then? Mm -hmm. um, so they lay out 
so they end up talking to this richest guy in Babylon, Arkad, and he lays out, <clears throat> and the king asks him to help teach the people of the kingdom how to become wealthier because the king wants his constituents to become wealthier themselves. So Arkad agrees to teach him, and he lays out these seven steps for how you can go about fattening your purse. And the first one is um, to start by fattening thy purse. And how do you think you would start to fatten your purse just common sense wise yeah so the one thing that i was calculating is what percent do i actually put into my 401 my 401k because that's where that's where i pay myself first is mm -hmm. through my 401k mm -hmm. and i'm only doing six percent right now mm -hmm. and so i have four percent i need to make up for that i'm not putting into savings which i need to be excellent and so that's perfect because this is one thing they point out in the book 10 percent is your number mm -hmm. everybody needs to put away 10 percent of what you get paid it's very simple, but but when it comes to money, it's it took me. I still I'm I'm still learning. Like nobody taught me this stuff growing up. Didn't learn it anywhere. Like my parents sure didn't know anything about money, mm -hmm. um, and didn't have any examples growing up in the military of people getting wealthy because mm -hmm. you know everybody's making a government paycheck, and um, so it's 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 common sense, but it's not common sense like just like you said how what what percentage should i be saving for myself these they point out since babylon the time the way to get rich you set aside 10 at least 10 percent of what you make for yourself so step and looking one, back had i saved 10 percent since i started working and joined the navy yeah i would be fine right now yeah yeah and when you think think about that deeper it's very simple save 10 percent of what you what you make you think about that deeper that means right then you're making more than you, you're saving more than you spend from mm -hmm. your paycheck. It's forcing you to save more than you spend. You save that 10% and don't spend more than that. Yep. It's hard. And it's also it's that really debt to hard. income ratio and making sure that you don't get in over your head in debt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. Um, the second the second way to fatten thy purse is to control thy expenditures, which we mm -hmm. just talked about. So ensure that you're saving 10% and don't spend more than what you earn. Mm -hmm. Number three is make thy gold multiply. So the money that you do save, figure out a way, a safe way, a sure way to invest it so it grows for you. So this I did. So I put it in, um, well, Vanguard with the Admiral account. I have a little bit of money going to that each month. But I also got a CD through Navy Federal, which actually was 3% this year. And the ones in the past were like one and a half, barely 1%. Oh, yeah. Even, yeah. Not, not even 1%. Yeah, this year was 3%. 3 so I actually made not a lot of money, but... You made a full 3% on a CD? Full 3% on a CD. And wow. it's only a one-year CD. So um, so that was really nice. But see, that's... The, uh, but, I mean, so it's a very simple statement. Make thy gold multiply. But how can you actually do that to where safely to where you don't you're not risking it and yeah. potentially losing it so cds are, are one way but like like you said cd returns have been abysmally low yeah. for so long but so it's great that the interest rates are coming up on that and you're making three percent at least still not keeping track of inflation but you're making something um letting it sit in your savings account or checking account is not going to do anything no that doesn't so, increase your wealth but 
everybody knows, well, maybe I can find a mutual fund or something and put it in there and it'll start growing. But even that, there's so many mutual funds. Like, how do you choose one that's going to actually safely grow for you? Yeah. It's very, that's, I don't, I don't know the answer for that. But there's not, it doesn't seem like a lot you could do. Yeah. I don't know. But that's the task. That's the number three task here is to figure out how to grow your money safely so you don't lose it. Number four is guard thy treasures from loss. So that ties into number three a little bit. Don't put it, don't try to extend it out in some risky thing to well, trying to grow it where you risk losing it. Mm-hmm. So you got to guard it. You, you really have to protect it. And um, I, I know that's absolutely true because it seems like there are so many people with their hands out on my paycheck before it even lands into my bank account. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not going to name them all. I mean, just so many, so many ways that f- cash just flies out of the checking account. Yeah. And you, so it is really hard. So it's a very simple statement. Again, guard thy treasure from loss. But how do you do that? Yeah. We got mortgage payments. We got electrical payments. We got gas payments. We got car payments. You, Taxes, where you, you have to pay for the taxes and all the things you have. Tax. I mean, there's so insurance. Mm-hmm. I mean, phone. It's incredible. Student loans. Um, so I'm always thinking about too, like how what if I could just drop myself in the desert? Mm-hmm. Like I got no, I got no payments. I'm brand new human here on earth. I got no payments. Mm-hmm. How did I get to the point where I'm right now, where I got nothing but payments? Mm-hmm. You know. Think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I? cut all these things I got to pay off. How do I just chop them off so I don't have to worry about it? Number five, make of thy dwelling a profitable investment. Now, that also is very interesting to me because I've heard a lot of people who talk about building wealth and finances and stuff like that, and they recommend not owning your own home because of all the costs associated. One, you got to have a huge down payment, especially nowadays with a prices of homes rising unless you're a veteran and can do the VA loans <laughs> yeah. because the VA loans are zero percent for vets right. just for you vets out there who didn't know yeah but the down payment is just one thing so once you're yeah. in a house then you've got all the other you know your HVAC system goes out you got to replace it yeah. your dishwasher goes out you got to buy a new home like we do um, <laughs> <all right. laughs> new roof thanks Patricia <laughs> new roof you know all yeah. these things uh, cost a lot of money and so there's there's a logical reason these guys recommend not owning a home yeah. with rent because if you rent you don't have to worry about it. But where's your rent going? Your rent is going to help make some other person a little bit wealthier. So. And if you're in an area like this, the rent is just as much, if not more, than a mortgage payment would be. So right. So where's your yeah? Where's right. the investment? Right. Um, but back in Babylonian day, the recommendation was to own your own home and pay it off as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So then you own it. You mm-hmm. own your own home and you can eat the way I, I love the way they put it. You can eat your own fig trees and you can eat of your own fig trees on your land and your own grapes and your wife will be happy to have her own, you know, uh, it's just. Your wife is just happy. <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine like owning Everything free and clear. A house owned free and clear. I really yearn for that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to pay the, the, the bank every month. Yeah. I just hate that. I hate having a mortgage. Um, so owning your home and owning where you live and owning your land as a profitable investment is a recommendation mm-hmm. for this. And I, I like that. I do too. I agree with that. Yeah. Number six, 
ensure a future income. And I'm like, dang it, that's very simply stated, very, very hard to do. Yeah. Ensure a future income. How do you do that? What are some ways of doing that? I mean, outside of social security. 401ks. Um, maybe 401ks. Well, how else can you ensure a future income? That This is like, for me, the million dollar problem is like, how do you get those multiple streams of income? Because yeah. that's what we all, it's all what we need. That's what we all need to aspire to um, outside of our own job. Mm -hmm. You know, one stream of income is really risky. We need to have multi, multiple streams of income. But how do you do that? It's, yeah. it's very difficult to do that. Any thoughts? <laughs> Anybody out there got any ideas? Because I'd love to hear them. How can I get some multiple streams of income going? Write a book? Uh, start a side business? I, I mean, it sounds easier said than done. How do you start a side business that makes actual money? Especially when you're still working full time and have other obligations. Like, where do you... Because time is time is a value and a hot commodity right there. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Easier said than done. Um, something definitely I need to work on in my own life. Uh, number seven, the final one, is increase the ability to earn. So continuous education, um, continuous reading, schooling, whatever. Try to figure out a way to improve and increase your um, marketability and your value to the marketplace. And so that to me, I, that resonates, I, that seems clear to me. I'm always working on that. That seems to come pretty naturally to me, mm -hmm. I think. Um, I wish number six came as natural to me as mm. number seven. <laughs> so I need to continue to, to educate myself on things I can do for number six to uh, improve streams of income coming in, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, rentals or whatever. Six is income coming into the future as a future make sure you have that yeah, ensure a future income because yeah. you don't want to you can't work your whole life yeah. i mean at some point people you aren't going to hire your whole life and you don't want to work your whole life but at some point you're not going to be employable anymore yeah. you know probably so um so those are the seven ways that arcod recommended that people can become as wealthy as him and he was the wealthiest man in babylon so then um, there were some other discussions of, of, of ways to like protect your wealth and uh, protect yourself. And uh, there was a discussion of the five laws of gold. And the first law of gold is gold cometh gladly in an increasing quantity to any man who will put by not less than one tenth of his earnings to create an estate for his future and that of his family. So basically save 10% um, of your income and gold will multiply for you. Yeah, that sounds... Some great, yes, okay, great. Uh, number two, gold laboreth diligently and contentedly for the wise owner who finds for it profitable employment, multiplying even as the flocks of the field. So, um, your money will you, you got to find a way to multiply your money mm -hmm. basically, and you got to do it smartly, otherwise, you're going to lose it. <laughs> the third law is gold clingeth to the protection of the cautious owner who invested under the advice of men wise in its handling, which is what I, basically what I just said. Fourth law of gold, gold slippeth away from the man who invested in business or purposes with which he is not familiar or which are not approved by those skilled in its keep. So this is tricky. This is why these things are so, they're, they're, they're simply stated, but very tricky. So you're saving 10% now and you, you're building up your wealth, but now you got to figure out how to multiply it. But you got to be careful because if you put it in something like, I don't know, uh, digital currencies or something, let's say, I don't know. 
uh, you stand to potentially lose it all. And then so you got to be smart about what you do with that money. And I don't know how you'd be smart. I'm trying to figure that out. And the fifth law of gold is it flees the man who would force it to impossible earnings or who followeth the alluring advice of tricksters and schemers or who trusted in his own ex inexperience and romantic desires and investment. So Bernie Madoff comes to mind. The hedge fund guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know. Well, it was just one example. Yeah. It's, again, you just got to be really careful with how you, how you, what the stewardship you provide for your money. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, and don't screw others over. Yeah. Yeah, definitely don't do that. Um, then there was an interesting story about the walls of Babylon. Mm. And um, Was the whole city enclosed? Yeah. Okay. It was it was covered, uh, surrounded by a huge wall. Uh, I think something like I think I read something like you could, the walls were so wide and so tall that you could drive a chariot six horses deep. Uh, a chariot that was pulled by six horses deep on the top of it. Wow. So that's pretty wide. That's a right? that's a big. It was a gigantic yeah. wall, and so the story goes that the. Babylon was under siege, and they were being attacked by an enemy, and there was a great battle ensuing, and people kept asking the soldiers, they'd, they'd come up and say, hey, are we going to survive? Are we going to live? I need to protect my family. I need to protect my wife, whatever. And the soldiers would say, don't worry, the walls of Babylon are strong. Just stay close to the walls, and you'll be safe, because no one's getting over it. And um, eventually, the enemy fled, and everybody was hap lived happily ever after. And the moral of the story is that you need um, to build a wall around your, uh, you need a, a protective financial wall built. And that protective financial wall is your savings. Because mm. stuff is going to come out of left field. You know, you're, you need to be prepared to handle it. Health issues, mm -hmm. um, car, you might wreck your car like we just did and have to buy a new car. Mm -hmm. Um, anything like that comes out of left field. You need to have the financial cushion to deal with it so you don't go into debt to handle it. Yeah. And the reason you don't want to go in debt to handle it is because, as the book points out, debt is slavery. And this was one of the best parts of the book for me, um, talking about uh, debt and how it relates to being a slave. And really, all who are in debt are a slave. You're really a slave. Mm -hmm. And I've been there. I, I'm a slave. And this guy, Bansir, um, said, you know, he accidentally became a slave in his own life because his brother got in a fight with somebody and accidentally killed him or something like that. And he became the guard the he the cuss he became in custody of his brother for some somehow he, i forget in this how the story goes but he became responsible for his his brother's actions who killed somebody in the in the, this book yeah and as a result of it he, he got because he was found guilty he got sold into slavery even though he wow. didn't commit the crime so his brother committed a crime and somehow He's having to pay for his brother's crime. Pay for his brother's crime, and wow. so now he's in a totally different level of the of the game of life. Yeah. He's like trying to figure out how to survive as a slave, and he's pulling other slaves around him, trying to figure out you know their experiences and and how they survived. And 
he's wise in that he listens to the the sage advice of some of the slaves that he's with mm -hmm. and uh, ends up working really hard for his masters and showing that he's valuable to his masters and actually producing output valuable output for his masters that help him rise up through the ranks of you know the slaves you mean um, like a point, US corporate organization <laughs> exactly exactly so i'm like sh we're all slaves we're all slaves working for somebody else mm -hmm. and you get out of that by accepting that fact and accepting the fact that hard work and, val and producing value for your slave owners is what's going to get you out. <laughs> and it's a really hard thing to realize. Yeah, that's, a, that's like, a hard thing to swallow, yeah, but man, it's true. We are all slaves. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially if you got a mortgage, you got a car payment, you're, you're worse, you got credit card debt. Mm -hmm. Man, you are a slave. And um, it points out that you, you can become a slave anybody can at any moment yeah. like you never know what kind of circumstances will lead you to lead you to that and this is from the wisdom of Babylonia from the Mesopotamian era so I'm reading the Wall Street Journal this weekend yeah and I'm reading about this poor guy who's a Syrian who's a who was a, a a boat what do you he was a person working on the boat. What do you call those guys? I forget what you call them. Sailor? He, he wasn't a sailor. I mean, these are like commercial vessels. Merchant Mariner? He was a, a mariner. He was second in command, I guess. Uh, a Syrian guy uh, on the MV Amman, which is this big, huge vessel. Uh, oddly enough, in the Suez Canal. <laughs> Which is very close, I think, to Babylon, mm -hmm. very, you know, in that area. And he became a slave because his, the people who owned the ship stopped paying their debts. And um, they had some, some relatively minor debts with that particular ship. They didn't pay their uh, They bought an anchor, I guess, the year before, and it was like $22,000, and they didn't pay the bill. And um, they're anchored off the Suez Canal. Uh, the captain uh, takes sh takes leave, shore leave to go run some errands and leaves the second in charge. And it's this guy, Muhammad Aisha from Syria. He's second in, second in charge on this vessel. Uh, the crew is a skeleton crew because people have been leaving because the owners haven't been paying their uh, wages and they haven't been paying their bills and blah, blah, blah. The, the captain goes ashore, runs some errands, and meanwhile, the Egyptian police show up with some documentation that says, hey, you owe us some money for this uh, anchor you got. You guys aren't paying this bill. You got to pay it. And the, he calls up his captain and says, hey, these guys are here. Uh, they got some paperwork for you and whatever. And the captain says, oh, well, you just sign it. It's okay. You just sign it, and I'll take care of it when I get back. Oh, no. And so he signs it, and what that ultimately did was bound him as the caretaker of the vessel. Uh, this is in the Wall Street Journal. This just happened. This, this story just came out. Yeah. Bada bing, he's a, he's a big time slave to that ship. <laughs> and to that, that the company owns. To that company. Yeah. He's a slave because that company doesn't didn't pay their debts. Not, yeah. He, had no, he was totally innocent. Yeah. He was just there doing his job. <laughs> and so he was stuck on that boat for four years. Wow, four years. Four years he couldn't get off of it. And they would pay a, a, just enough to keep enough diesel in the ship, ship so he could keep the lights on and charge his phone. 
and and have enough for a little bit of food and stuff. But the rest of the crew totally abandoned ship. They they totally left. Wow. And every time he tried to abandon ship, the Egyptian police would capture him and take him back out to the boat. Oh no. And it finally got to the point where they said, Look, we feel sorry for you. You can come to shore during the day, but at night you have to swim back to it. <laughs> him a little boat or something for four years oh. and he just kept working he kept doing his job and he wouldn't leave his post and ultimately somebody i don't know a court heard his plea and said all right we, we finally free you of this burden you can go home but in the meantime he his mom died and his grandmother oh, died and he couldn't go see and them. he couldn't go he couldn't get off the boat crying out loud wow so that's tragic i just thought wow that's that really resonates with the book i'm reading and mm-hmm. this thing about slavery and you know, um, build that wall, save that money. Don't let it go away. Build the wall, get an umbrella policy, <laughs> whatever you could do to build the wall, protect yourself against mm-hmm. whatever financial bullshit is going to come your way because it comes to everybody and you got to be prepared for it. So that's why I really like this book. Excellent. Oh, I'm so excited to hear about it. It's really interesting. Totally recommend it. It's really great. The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Klassen. And Klassen seems to be a really interesting character I'd like to learn more about. Apparently, he was a map maker and made his money making maps in America back in the day. Really? Huh. Yeah. Um, just kind of weird. Like, maps? And then he distri- distributes a book like this? Really interesting. I want to learn more about it. But anyway, that's it. Recommend the book. Pick it up. Read it. Uh, this is episode 28 of Dream 10X. We will talk to you soon, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this month. <laughs> a week or two, we promise. Over now. Ciao.